when my dad retired, he was a, a maintenance man at a glass plant, which he had done for, I don't know, 40-something years. And so all of the, the maintenance work had made him a pretty fair handyman. There was very little my dad cannot fix. Uh, and when we were young, dad had a, a really good selection of tools. And for the most part, my brother and I were allowed to use them anytime we wanted, but there were a couple of rules to remember. One is we had to put them back where we found them. Every tool had a place, and that place was where it belonged. Putting it back in the shed was not enough. Uh, putting it back in the toolbox was not enough. There was a particular drawer in the toolbox. Every tool went, and it was supposed to go in that place. Uh, we were to be sure to clean the tool off. Dad didn't care if while we used them they got greasy and dirty. They were tools after all. But you couldn't leave them that way. You didn't put them up dirty. You cleaned them up and you put them back in there. Last and most important rule was each tool had a job. And we were to use it for that job and nothing else. A crescent wrench was not a hammer. Uh, and heaven help the Roth son who tried to use it as one. We weren't to use them even for light tapping. If we were caught tapping or hammering with a tool that wasn't a hammer we would get a lecture on the proper usage of the tool. Dad would explain the use of a crescent wrench and what particular things you would use it on. He would explain why it wasn't good to bang a crescent wrench around. He would take us into a, a shed and show, pick up a hammer and show us this, this is a hammer and this is what you would use. And if he was feeling really frisky, which he typically was, uh, he would even show us the different types of hammers and what jobs were best for what hammers. He really wanted to get across to us the idea, use the right tool for the right job. God has this mindset when it comes to the topic of spiritual warfare. Worldly weapons simply won't cut it in trying to fight spiritual battles. There, are, there is much that matters in this world that can help us succeed, uh, but they are useless in spiritual battles. They have no, no power to help us fight and win the spiritual battles we will face as disciples of Jesus. So we must be sure... To use the spiritual weapons God has given us and use them in the ways God intends. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. So open your Bible to Ephesians 6. We're going to start in verse 10. We're going to read all the way through to verse 17. And when you find that, I'm going to stand on the reading of God's Word. It'll be page 898 if you have a pew Bible. Ephesians 6 and 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The title of the message this morning is The Belt of Truth. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come this morning and we, we want to learn what we need to do so that we can stand an evil day, and at the end of it, to still be standing. Father, this room is filled with people who are struggling under the weight of different spiritual battles. Some, Lord, are, are direct spiritual attacks from the enemy. Some are just difficult circumstances of life. 
Some are the result of mistakes that have been made by them. But all, all are ultimately spiritual battles. And Lord, we need to know what to do to stand. We need to know how to wield the weapons you've given us so that we will be able to fight properly and be able to be standing at the end. Guide today that our hearts would be open to what you have for us. Help us to have, Lord, as we come to the word, to have a a surrendered attitude to it. This is your word. And what you have said is authoritative because it's yours. And Lord, that where it would challenge us, that we would not push it away because it's not what we like or what we prefer. We would surrender to it because it is yours. Help us to take it and apply it to life. Lord, we don't want to be hearers of the word only, but, but doers of the word. You know, Jesus said, if we do not hear it and do it, we have not dug down deep. We will not stand against the, the storms of life and the trials we face. So guide us not to deceive ourselves, but to do your word. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. I can speak your words and your ways for your glory. Let your spirit fill all of us and give us ears to hear, hearts to obey. Mouths that would give you praise, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look, if we finally got into the actual armor, I want you to notice we are told repeatedly to put on all the armor, right? So like in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, take unto you the whole armor of God. Right? Now, there are, there are, I think, two implications of this idea First is we have to be conscious about sort of putting the armor on, so to speak. Right? All that we're talking about in the next several weeks with this armor, none of it's natural. Right? None of this is, I'm just going to drift through life and I'm going to have my loins girt with truth. I'm just going to drift through life and have the breastplate of righteousness protecting my heart. It's not the way the world works. It's just not the way spiritual life works. There is a level of intentionality on our part that has to be there if we are going to be have the belt of truth on, if we are going to have our hearts guarded by the breastplate of righteousness, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We must do what it takes to grab hold of these things, to use these things in our life. The armor is available for every born-again child of God. And if you are born again and the Spirit of God dwells within you, this is yours. But you have to take it up. I've heard it, the illustration used of a, a soldier in the army. Every soldier has a weapon assigned to them of some sort. Whether it would be a rifle or a machine gun or a pistol. They are assigned a weapon. But that weapon does them no good if it stays in the armory. They have to go and pick it up and take it to use it. It's the same with the armor of God. Second is we must take up all the armor. We are told in verse 11 to take up the whole armor of God in 11 and 13. So as we, we go through this, we're taking the time, we're going to look at each one individually so that we can go more in depth with them. And, and what's going to happen is there are going to be parts of this we don't like, parts of this that convict us or challenge us. That's just the way the Word of God is. right? If, if any of us Read through the Bible and we are never convicted. We are never challenged. We are never just sort of poked that we need to do something different. I don't think it's because we're perfect. 
I think it's because we're not reading very carefully. The Word of God is always challenging us. It is always changing us. And until we are just like Jesus, there is work that must be done. And so there will be things as we read the Word that go against our beliefs, our preferences, what we want to do. And it's going to be the same in the armor of God. There's going to be a temptation at some parts to say, Ooh, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, I'll take, I'll take the, the shield of faith, but I'm not going to take the preparation of the gospel of the shoes. I'm not going to take that one. But if we leave off any part of the armor, we will not stand. Right? Notice the wording. Take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. In the evil day, having done all, to stand. It takes every piece of God's armor to be able to stand in the evil day, to stand through the evil day, and at the end of the evil day to still be standing any part we leave off. Leaves us vulnerable to the enemy who is far smarter than we are. Who has been fighting spiritual battles far longer than we have. And who knows how to take advantage of the weak spots. And if we leave off a spot, we open ourselves up to his attacks. Not one piece of God's armor is meant to be optional. Each and every piece is important and necessary to fight and win spiritual battles. Now today we're looking at the, the belt of truth. Or as the, the King James says. Your loins girt about with truth. Now the belt that the Roman soldiers wore. Was a wide piece of leather. It held clothing close to the soldier's body. And it was attached to the sheath of the sword. Now Roman soldiers. What they typically wore was a loose fitting outer garment. It was kind of. I guess you'd say it was like a big square piece of cloth with holes cut out for the head and for the arms and it just sort of dangled down. And normally the belt just wrapped around and it kind of left it like a robe dangling down among them. That was loose, it was comfortable, it had all sorts of good things going for it, but what it was bad for uh, was fighting. Because of the way it draped down around their legs, if they tried to fight, they would trip and they would fall. And an enemy who falls down is an enemy who gets stabbed to death pretty quickly. Uh, to enter into combat without their robe girded up, having girded their loins with their robe, would have been un- unthinkable. It would have been a, a, a guaranteed pathway to defeat. Now the way that they, they girded their loins with a tunic, I'm going to actually show you how to do it today. So this is, we're the only church in Diamond, probably Oklahoma, teaching you how to gird your loins today. So when you go out and you say, what did you learn at church today? We learned how to gird our loins. This is a, so this is important stuff. Right? So here's how you gird your loins. Right? The art of manliness shows us how to do this. Right? So it was cut on sides and they would reach down and they would grab it and then they would wrap it around and wrap it back around and then they would tie it. And then the belt kind of went on over the top of it that held the knot. So that nothing came out. As you can see, it left them so they could be able to move and to run and to fight. It, it enabled them to be prepared for whatever they were about to face. The belt held it all together. Right? The belt held the robe up so it didn't get entangled in their feet and they trip and stumble. The belt held their sword so it was always ready when they needed it. The belt Went through the, the bottom of the breastplate at a loop to hold it down so that it didn't fly up and, and expose their belly or their chest. If the belt fell 
everything sort of fell apart in the battle. The robe would fall. The sword would fall. Their shield might fall. The breastplate would fly up. And to quote Kelly's grandmother, they'd be in a devil of a shape once that happened. In general, losing the belt left him very vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. It sort of held everything together. And what we're told is we're to to girt our loins with truth. So what is it that holds everything together for us? Everything we're going to talk about is held together by truth. It is held together by the truth of Scripture. So we can fight and win spiritual battles. And in order for our loins to be girt with truth, we must have an absolute commitment to the truth of Scripture. Without this absolute unwavering commitment to the truth of Scripture, everything sort of falls apart. Because think about the rest of the armor in relation to this. So truth, Scripture, no, just it's true. So then we have a breastplate of righteousness to protect our heart. Well, how do I know how to be righteous? How do I know what is righteous? Scripture. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What's the gospel? What's the peace it gives? How do I know these things? Scripture. Above all, taking the shield of faith. So I can quench the the fiery darts of the wicked one. What's faith? I mean, what is faith built upon? What am I believing with my faith? How does faith help me quench those fiery darts? Where Where do I find the answers to these questions? Scripture. The helmet of salvation guards my mind from Satan's attacks. How can I know I'm saved? What is salvation? What does that even mean? What does it do? How would I find the answers to these? Scripture. And the sword of the Spirit, my one offensive weapon given, is a sword. And it is Scripture. Do you see how truth holds it all together? Without an unwavering, absolute commitment to the truth of Scripture, we have nothing to help us fight. We have nothing to guard our hearts, nothing to guard our minds, nothing to keep us standing, nothing to shield us, nothing to fight with. We have nothing when we abandon absolute commitment to the truth of Scripture. It holds everything together so we can stand in the evil day and when it's done to still be standing. This is a a commitment to know and do The truth of Scripture in all areas of our life. When this commitment to truth isn't there, we are vulnerable to the attacks of our enemy. Without an absolute commitment to the truth of Scripture, we are easy prey for the wiles of the devil who is a liar and the father of lies. So when, when we aren't committed to Scripture, to the truth of Scripture... There is an enemy who will whisper false things in our ear. I mean, that's, that's how we first meet him, isn't it? Genesis 3 comes to Adam and Eve, and, and he says, You shall not surely die. Which was contrary to what God had said. He was contradicting God. And his lie was meant to deceive and destroy. 
His lie was painted in a way that made it seem as though God was keeping him, keeping them from something good. So where where do the lies contradicting scripture come from in our day, I wonder? Where do the lies from that contradict scripture and tell us God is keeping us from something good? That what God says thou shalt not is really a good thing. Where does that come from, I wonder? Well, I believe it comes from the same place it has always come from. It has come from the enemy who says, hath God surely said. Nothing has changed from that day to this day. Satan is the father of lies, speaking lies, seeking to destroy our lives and our souls. And if we do not have an absolute commitment to the truth of Scripture, we will believe his lies. And believing his lies is a guaranteed way to lose in the evil day and not stand. Because when we believe a lie, we think on a lie, we tell a lie, or we live a lie, we are following Satan's example and we are giving him place in our lives. We cannot possibly stand against the wiles of the devil or stand in the evil day if we're giving Satan a place in our lives. We cannot oppose Satan in one way and invite him in in another. It is pretty well all or nothing. So one author says, you cannot oppose the devil's plans in prayer if you align yourself with him in your personal life. And the only way to be sure we are not falling for his wiles, his schemes, his lies, is to have an absolute commitment to Scripture. To the truth of Scripture. So how can we demonstrate a commitment to truth? I want to show you four ways. First, seek the truth. Now, how many of you have heard some variation of a statement that says, it doesn't matter what you believe, so long as you are sincere. That's a pretty common in our day, right? I mean, as long as you really believe it, that's all that matters. But let me ask you. Is that true? Gerald, when you taught math, if you had a lesson and you had 2 plus 2 and they put 5, but they sincerely believed it, would you have said, well, you sincerely believe it, so for you, 2 plus 2 will be 5? No. It doesn't work that way, does it? Michael, as a patrolman, when you pull somebody over who's going 135, if they sincerely believe they ought to get to go 135, was that okay? No. The world just doesn't work that way. Well, it doesn't work that way in relation to spiritual things either. There, there is a standard for truth. Sanctify them through thy, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, the word that Jesus used here, it isn't the word is true because it conforms to a higher reality or a higher standard of truth. The way it's worded, God's word is itself the ultimate standard of truth. Therefore, anything which contradicts God's word Always false. Just as 2 plus 2 never equals 5, anything that goes against what Scripture says is never right. And let me give you an example of this. Because it's true no matter how sincerely someone believes something contrary to Scripture. Let me give you an example of this. Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi and he asked the disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that I, John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, some or one of the prophets, and he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, 
The question Jesus asked the disciples, whom do you say I am? That's the question. It's the question we all have to answer. It's a big question. It's an important question. We'll have to stand before God and give an account to how we answer that question one day. The world offers a variety of answers to that, doesn't it? Now, the world offered there, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. We're going to talk about that Wednesday night in our study on the gospel. But the world offers a variety of answers. Who is Jesus? He's a good man. He didn't exist. He was a prophet of Allah. He was, he was a highly evolved Buddha. He, he was this. He was that. And there are a lot of answers. And a lot of people that hold these other answers, they are very sincere about them. I mean, they really, deeply, truly believe them. But there's only one right answer to this question. Now of the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that's the answer Scripture gives. The world gives all of these other answers, but Scripture just gives us the one. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that is the only answer that's right. Every other answer to that question is wrong. It is eternally wrong. Regardless of how sincerely someone believes it. Regardless of how passionately someone is as they believe it. Regardless of what stacks of evidence they have as they claim to believe it. There is one answer found in Scripture. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And all other answers fall short and leave people condemned, separated from God. The wrong answer will always be the wrong answer. No matter how passionately or sincerely we believe the wrong answer. And sincerely believing a lie will have severe and negative consequences in our lives. That's why we have to build our lives on the truth. We have to have absolute commitment to the truth of Scripture. But a truth, to know the truth of Scripture, requires us to seek the truth in Scripture. Because the truth of Scripture is not naturally known. One of the reasons the world has such a divergent view of who Jesus is is because they just don't know. I mean, 50, 100 years ago, people who believed other things were willful in their rejection of Christ in that. But nowadays, I wager we all know somebody that if we were to ask them, they truly, it's not that they've read the Bible and they know that it says He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and they're rejecting it. And they, they just don't have a clue. They're, they're, they're just ignorant of that knowledge. And we will be ignorant of the truth of Scripture if we don't seek the truth in Scripture. Nothing in Scripture is naturally known. The world will not naturally lead us to embrace the truth of Scripture. The world will not naturally lead us to understand and know the truth of Scripture. In order to understand and know the truth of Scripture, we have to seek truth in Scripture. We are commanded to do this. <coughs> Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Four, four quick facts. About that verse and we'll move on. We are told to, to study. Which carries with the idea of being diligent. One of my commentaries said the word study meant to make every effort. 
to labor, to be diligent, to do one's best, to work hard, to give all diligence, to be zealous, to eagerly strive, to exert oneself. Now, let me ask, do those words describe your study of Scripture? Can your personal study of Scripture truly be described as making every effort? Laboring, being diligent, doing your best, working hard, giving all diligence, being zealous and exerting oneself. Because that's how our study of Scripture is meant to be. We're called workers and the work is connected to being diligent to Scripture. And the reason we're to be diligent in our work to Scripture is so we can rightly divide means properly understand and explain God's truth. It takes diligent, hard work to know the truth and to be able to explain the truth. And as disciples of Jesus, we are meant to know the truth. The truth which sets us free. We are meant to be able to use that truth to help others be set free. And if we are to Be able to stand in the evil day and doing all to stand. We must know. I mean, if you don't know the truth, a lie is easy to believe, isn't it? And the only way to know truth is to seek truth in Scripture. If we have an absolute commitment to the truth of Scripture, we will demonstrate this by embracing or by seeking the truth in God's Word. Once we determine to seek the truth, That leads us to embrace the truth. One of the truths about truth is truth isn't always comfortable. Truth isn't always what we want to hear. Because truth can and often does contradict our beliefs and our wants. Truth certainly contradicts culture and all of the teaching of the world around us. And so here's what's going to happen in life. We're going to seek truth in Scripture. And Scripture is going to say something. A belief. This is what you're supposed to believe. An action. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's something you're not supposed to do. Here's how you react to stressors. Here's how you treat your money. Here's how what you value. Here's your priorities. Here's how you live. And something in that is going to contradict either what we believe what we want to do, what's comfortable for us, and what culture around us says. And in that moment, we'll have a choice. What am I going to do? If I live this way, I'll be out of step with all of these other people. If I believe this way, I'll be out of step with with everyone else around me. I, I don't want to live this way because I'm comfortable the way I'm already living. I don't want to react that way because I like the way I react. I I don't want to do that. What will we do in that moment when Scripture contradicts us or culture that we're so attached to? We have to decide. We have to decide whether or not we will embrace truth. Because that's what it takes. To have an absolute commitment to truth means I must embrace the truth no matter what it is. No matter how Strongly, it contradicts me or the culture I'm attached to. And embracing truth requires us again to believe it. And there are two aspects of belief which must be present before the truth 
will help us in the day, in the evil day. We have to believe it's right. It's right in what it says. It's right in what it says about sexuality. It's right in what it says about morality. It's right in what it says about finances and time stewardship. It's right in what it says about how to treat your spouse and how to raise your kids. It's right in what it says about holiness and about how we talk and how we think. It's right. I have to have a a priority belief. Scripture is right. So when I come to it, the question isn't, well, did Paul make a mistake? Was Jesus misquoted? That's not the question. Because I've already determined Scripture is right. That's what we have to start with. And then we have to believe it's real. Not only must we believe it's right, we must believe it's, it's real. I'm afraid many people... Many believers today see Scripture as sort of a pie-in-the-sky ideal, but not the reality. First time I ever thought about this, I heard a a pop star, and I won't mention who it is because it doesn't matter. But they'd been raised to be a Christian, but as they had gotten out on their own and gotten famous, they had begun to do things that were not true, were not right. And when questioned about how their, their lifestyle contradicted what they had professed to believe, the answer was, well, the book is right in what it says. But it's just not practical. You just can't live that way. I think a lot of professing believers, that's how they embrace it. Yeah, it's right. I should. I should turn the other cheek, but come on, nobody can really do that. I should seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, but, I mean, that's not should be generous. But I mean, nobody can really do that like they should. And so, to believe, to, to embrace it, we have to believe it's right. And we have to believe it's real. So I, I really can be holy as He is holy. I, I really am supposed to. I really can turn the other cheek and I really am supposed to turn the other cheek. I really can be generous and I really am supposed to be generous. Well, just whatever issue we come to. Do we believe it's right and do we believe it's real? So the alternatives to embracing the truth of Scripture, believing it's right and believing it's real, is is like follow culture. Culture shifts. I mean, there are things right now culture is telling us is right. 20 years ago, we would have never imagined. There are things right now beginning to be told. They're okay. They're, They're acceptable. And it's in smaller elements, but in 20 years' time, we're going to be horrified. At what culture is telling us about things like pedophilia. Right? I mean, the, the, the shift happens. The shift is happening. So culture can't be where the rightness comes from. What about our heart? That's a big thing, right? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Your heart will never lead you astray. Scripture says, heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Mm. Scripture says, he who follows his heart is a fool. Scripture says there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of that way is death. So what am I going to believe? What am I going to embrace as right and true? Scripture or my heart, which is deceitfully wicked and can justify any number of sins and iniquities. What, what am I going to believe? The, what, what, just what seems right to me despite the fact 
How many times in our own lives has what seemed right to us been devastatingly wrong? Who here has made horrific, terrible mistakes in their life that felt right at the time? So clearly, what seems right unto us is not the way to go, is it? So what is it that is right? Well, if we're going to stand in the evil day and having done all to still be standing, what's right is the truth found in Scripture. So I must embrace it. I must believe it's right. I must believe it's real. And when Scripture contradicts my life or my culture, it's not a question then. Scripture is right. Scripture is real and I shall bring my life, my beliefs, my words, my actions into conformity to Scripture. I will not seek reasons why Scripture doesn't mean what it clearly says. An absolute commitment to Scripture means we embrace it. It's right. It's real. And I must change, not Scripture. Thirdly, we must speak the truth. As disciples of Jesus, we are being changed from glory to glory. The overall end of this transformation is to be like Jesus. As such, Ephesians has told us we are to strip off the old man and its deeds and put on the new man who's becoming more like Jesus. And a part of this transformation is speaking truth. Speaking lies is a part of the old man and his nature. It's a part of the lostness of our lives. Speaking truth is part of the new man and the new nature becoming like Jesus. Now, again, our culture is not that big on speaking truth. I mean, we're in a political season right now, right? So truth is just sort of, we put it in our back pocket and we'll pull it back out after the election's over and then we'll expect something. But right now, truth goes under when it comes to, to elections and, and this type of thing. But Scripture scripture doesn't do that. But Scripture elevates truth as you're to speak the truth one to another. Always. And, and since our culture has made not speaking truth such a, an okay thing, why would, why would Scripture do that? Well, think about truth as it relates to God. right? So, Jesus is truth. As we've seen, God's Word is truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. So when we speak truth, we are, we are speaking consistent with the Savior who has bought us, the Word which guides us, and the Spirit which fills us. But when we speak untruth, when we lie, we are not walking in, in, in. We are not walking consistently with the Savior who bought us, the Word which guides us, or the Spirit who lives within us. But I, I, part of speaking truth, though, is more than just saying. Somebody says, "Hey," because when you talk about speaking truth, one of the questions somebody, if you ask questions from the audience, somebody will say, "Does this make me look fat?" And, and of course. Oh, no, no. Oh, you lie. But, I mean, that's not really even the issue. Things like that are deflections. They're people who don't want to address the real issues. So when the Bible talks about speaking truth, right, the Bible's talking about things like, are you saying that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to hell? Well, there's a truth there, right? There's a, there's a truthful answer. And the truthful answer is, oh, I don't know. I don't make those decisions. That's not a truthful answer. Because if you're a disciple of Jesus, you know. 
Right? Are you saying that this, that, that, that this, this homosexuality, this is a sin? Or are you saying it's a sin, but I feel it so deeply? Well, you have to live by your truth. That's not a truthful answer. There is a truth and it's in the Bible. Speaking the truth is in relation to real things, important things. Right? And so if someone asks us about what's right or what's true or about salvation or about heaven or hell, our answer must be truth. It can't be a waffly, well, I don't know. You tell me. You study the Bible and you tell me what you think. God, help us to not be so cowardly. To be bold in Christ and speak truth. Because again, I cannot align with the devil in my words. Because when I tell, when I tell someone, I don't know. I am aligning. That is the devil's words. I am aligning with the devil to deceive them and leave them in their condition. How can I then stand against the devil in other areas? I can't. I mean, this battle, you are either with him or you are against him. Jesus said you must be either with him or against him. There is no on the fence. He that is not with me is against me. So I can't be with Jesus here and against Jesus there. Because in that case, I'm just against Jesus. I must be all in. And I must speak the truth at all times. We must speak the truth. An absolute commitment to the truth of Scripture results in us speaking the truth at all times. And then finally, live the truth. Living the truth involves living with integrity. When we talk about integrity, it's important to understand integrity is not a synonym for perfection. One of the best ways to understand integrity is to understand it as being who you say you are. In a lot of ways, integrity is the opposite of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy isn't trying to live for Jesus and failing. That's just being a person trying to live for Jesus. Hypocrisy is when I want you to think I'm living for Jesus, but I'm really not. It's a show. I'm putting on an appearance and I want you to... I mean, a hypocrite, in Jesus' day when he used the word, it was an actor. They were playing a part. So a hypocrite isn't a devoted disciple of Jesus who makes mistakes. A hypocrite is someone who's playing a part. They're pretending to be a disciple of Jesus. They want you to think they're a disciple of Jesus. They want others to think, but, but in their hearts they're not. In their in lives, right, a, a hypocrite will live one way in Diamond because people will see them, and a different way in New Mexico where no one knows them. Right? That's, that's a hypocrite. They want people here to think one way of them, but there where no one will know them, they'll do whatever they want to do. The reality is, when we go off and do whatever we want to do, that's really who we are. That's our character. That's who we are in our lives. And that's hypocrisy. Living the truth is, I'm the same in New Mexico, in Georgia, in Texas, in Bulgaria, in anywhere I go, I'm the same as I am right here in front of all these people who know I'm a pastor. That's living the truth. And that's what we're called to. 
to do. Now, when we don't live the truth, Satan can use our hypocrisy against us in a number of ways. He can use it to make us feel condemned. Now, again, I'm not a big, I don't think we should, anytime I feel condemned, I should say, well, I'm obviously a hypocrite. Satan is an accuser, so he may accuse us of things that are under the blood and we're not, there aren't issues. But I think if accusations come, we might ought to examine ourselves. Am I a hypocrite? Am I, I mean, is this a legit accusation Satan's bringing against my life? Satan can use our hypocrisy to cause others to stumble. Now, I've not had it happen here as far as individual people. But I've been a part of churches where we invite people to church. They will say, well, this guy over here in your church, he teaches Sunday school. I hear how he talks and how he lives and what he does. The only difference between me and him is he comes to your church on Sunday mornings and I don't. It causes them to to stay away, to pushes them away. Our hypocrisy, Satan can use our hypocrisy to to keep us away from church. And he can make us think, you don't need it. Look, I mean, you're fine the way you are. He can say, look at how terrible you are. Those people, those people, they all know and they all hate you. They despise you for the way you are. He can use it to keep us from praying. Really, you're going to pray? Really? For what you do? You think God wants to hear from you? You think God cares? You might as well stop. He can use it to keep us from Scripture. Right? Oh, you're going to read the Bible now like you're going to do anything with it, like you really believe that stuff. He can use it to keep us from fighting spiritual battles. Why fight? You're just going to give in in the end anyway. You're just going to go ahead and do it, so why go through the effort of fighting against it now? Just go ahead, rush into it. Ultimately, he can use it to keep us from Christ. You are unworthy. He'll never accept you. He's done with you. Don't even, don't even bother. Don't even pretend anymore. I mean, there's just a limitless number of ways Satan can use our hypocrisy against us to destroy us. But living in the truth protects us from these wiles. And it keeps Saint, Satan from being able to have an angle in our lives. If you ever watch, I watch like spy movies. And one of the ways that, that spies get informants, one of the ways that say Russians get Americans to work for them, is they find something in their life that's not right. And they use it as a weak point. If you don't come to work for us, we're going to tell the Americans, what you're doing here. We'll tell your wife. We'll, we'll expose you here. But if you come to work for us, we won't. And then when they come to work for them, they say, oh, now you've, now you've been a traitor. Now we'll expose you to the American government, plus all of these other things. And it's that inconsistency that gives the foreign, the foreign power the, the angle to press on them. And that's what Satan does, ultimately. When we live inconsistently, when we don't live the truth, it gives him an angle to press gives him a pressure point to use to work to bring disaster and defeat into our lives. When we live in truth, though, there are no angles. There are no pressure points for him to point at. If we have an absolute commitment to the truth of Scripture, we, we have to demonstrate this by living the truth out. And living the truth out is living consistently with what God has said and what has been revealed in Scripture. It is this commitment to Scripture which holds everything together. 
A commitment to Scripture is tucking all the loose ends of our lives into God's truth and refusing in any way to befriend or to conform to the world. Saying God's truth is the standard and it is the pattern I will follow. An absolute commitment to truth will shape our values, our priorities, our attitudes, our actions, our reactions, our speech, our thought life, our morality, our use of money, our use of time, our marriage, our parenting. All of those I could go through and list multiple scripture for each and every one of those. And there is no area of our life scripture does not speak to. An absolute commitment to the truth to girt it all up. Is tucking everything into scripture and saying this is what's right. This is what's true. This is what I'll do. It holds everything together in our lives. And allows us to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand in the evil day and when the battle is over to still be standing. Does your life, does your life demonstrate an absolute commitment to Scripture? If it does, praise the Lord. I'm not going to call you into question. I'm looking out at a room of people I love. I know love Jesus. And if you have an absolute commitment to Scripture, I believe you. And keep going. Encourage others. But if you don't, if there's an area where you're not in line, take it seriously. Do something about it. It's not going to get okay. It's not going to get better. You're going to have to choose what will be the standard in your life. You're going to have to choose whether or not you're going to be committed to Scripture and the truth thereof, or you're going to be committed to be liked by the world. Or you're going to be committed to doing what feels right to you. Or you're going to be committed to following your heart. But keep in mind, you can't do all of those at the same time. You cannot follow your heart as your absolute commitment and follow Scripture at the same time. You cannot conform to the world and have an absolute commitment to the truth of Scripture at the same time. You cannot just do what feels right and have an absolute commitment to the truth of Scripture at the same time. You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to get off the fence and decide which side you're on. Because there is no Switzerland. Nobody's neutral. You're either with Jesus Or you're against Him. And I I know our culture today doesn't like that sort of absoluteness. But man, as I get into Scripture, I, I don't see anything else. I don't see Scripture gives us the opportunity to be in the middle, to to flow with the river. Scripture calls us to stand. And keep standing. And if you don't have that commitment, and you've never really had it in your life, It's not a fatal flaw at this point. You're here today. God has brought you here. You've heard this message. You've been given an opportunity. Now is your time to respond. Now is your time to repent. Repent of it as sin because it is. Confess it to God as sin because it is. Just renounce it in the name of Jesus. I renounce following my sinful, wicked heart. 
In the name of Jesus, I, I renounce conforming to the culture. In the name of Jesus, I renounce just doing what feels good and what feels right. I will have an absolute commitment to Scripture. Pray that. Confess it to God. And when you fail, when you stumble, get back up. Confess it again and keep on going. You must make a choice. You must choose this day whom you will serve. If you want to stand, you must choose Jesus. And you must choose to have an absolute unwavering commitment to the truth of Scripture.